The reading this evening is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5, beginning at the first verse. You can find this on page 1176 of the Church Bibles. Ephesians 5, 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. Um, I think I'm going to pray. That might be a good thing to do, Father. Thank you for your word. Um, Your word is a a double-edged sword. It pierces our hearts, and yet it brings us salvation. And uh, as we contemplate your word this evening, I just ask that you would, above all else, show us uh, that your word is a word of love to us. It's a word that wants to draw us closer to you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm going to start by reading uh, a quote from John Stott. Now, this is, this is a topic, and let's not pretend it's not. This is a topic all about sex. Um, let's kind of get it out there. We don't talk about it very much. It's a bit Christian closety, and that's a great pity, because it's incredibly important. Um, John Stott says uh, of a man called Dr. Michel Foucault, uh, who is a professor of history of thought. Um, Foucault, in January 1977, in a huge tome that he wrote, said this, Christianity's most intolerably burden legacy is sex as sin. 
And John Stott then goes on to say, and it is true that some of our Victorian forefathers came close to this identification. But the reason why Christians should dislike and avoid vulgarity is not because we have a warped sense of sex or are ashamed or afraid of it, but because we have a high and holy view of it as being in its right place God's good gift, which we do not want to see cheapened. Um, I hope we can agree with that. I'm then going to uh, read you something else, bizarrely actually from another Frenchman. This is, uh, well, you know, this is Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. I don't know if you've heard of him, he was a philosopher in the last century. But I, I always rather like this quote. He says, if you want to build a ship, Don't drum up people to collect wood and assign them tasks and work. Rather, teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. And in a sense, and there is a serious possibility that I may just abandon all these notes. I've been chopping and changing all day. But I think that my heart for us this evening and what God's word is saying to us um, is that he wants us to grasp the importance of our call to holiness He wants us to grasp the importance of our call to be like him. And you know, when we do that, other things begin, sometimes painfully, but they begin to fall into place. I was really quite intrigued. Uh, Eddie told me just before the beginning of the service he was going to use the prodigal son. And I, I really of integrity ought to share with you that was the passage that kind of pretty much brought me to the Lord now isn't that bizarre Um, it, it, it was the passage that was read to me before I was prayed with uh, to really receive the fullness of the spirit in my life and the thing that struck me about it was not just that it was for me to turn around and face God. But when I faced him, what an enormous God. What a huge God, so much bigger than my sinfulness. And so much more loving than I could have possibly imagined. So, that's interesting. Anyway. Um, I want to go through most of the verses, um, but I'm just going to sort of set the scene a little bit. Uh, One of the things that occurred to me is that, of course, it is exam time, and there are actually some of our uh, 
older legacy people here, but some of them are immersed in revision. There are uni students who are on their way home, having completed exams, and they're waiting for all their final marks to go online. It's quite a stressful time. For people in education, there's marking to be done. Endless, endless, endless marking to be done. And do you know one of the key things uh, that markers scrutinize is what we might call the veracity of the authorship. In other words, did you copy this from someone else and then lob it into your essay as if it were your own work? Now, I'm a little bit, I've got this a little bit in my head at the moment because um, I've been looking at some, earlier this week, I spent a couple of days reading through a load of dissertations, specifically actually looking for this kind of thing. Plagiarism, don't you know, is on the increase. And if you are unscrupulous enough, I wouldn't advise it, you can go online, some of you might know this, surely not, and you can pay someone to write your essay for you. Well, there's a first for several hundred pounds. Uh, a marker who knows your particular work will usually detect it. Investigations follow. I really wouldn't go there. Um, most university students submitting coursework are familiar with plagiarism um, programs. Yes, I see a few nods. And it's easily detected. Now, let's be clear. The problem isn't the copying of other people's work. The problem is pretending that it's yours. And why am I kind of raising this, apart from the fact it's been a bit in my head this week? <clears throat> it's because when we properly reference work, indeed as... In reading John Stott, I mean, I could have pretended it was all my idea, but it really wasn't. What we're actually doing is we are honouring somebody. We're declaring that we value their ideas, their thinking, their views. We copy them because ultimately we want to be like them. And so it is with verse 1 of our reading. Therefore, as we heard, be imitators of God as beloved children. That's a sentence in three parts. I'm going to take the middle part first. We know we're created in the image and likeness of God, but this is a little bit like saying we have God DNA. God has planted within us the capacity to respond to his call on our life. That doesn't mean we've done it, does it? So, is this passage that we've read, is it a command to everybody? No, it isn't. And the clue to both who this relates to and how we imitate God is the next bit, as beloved children. So just to be sure, who are the beloved children? Whoops. I, I am a beloved child of God. I'm a beloved child of God who sins and repents, but I'm a beloved child of God. As are most of you, I imagine, sitting here. 
John 1, 12, 13 said, This is a beloved child, yet all who received him, that's Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Our entire premise for copying God, for imitating him, is as a response for what he's already done for us in Christ. And it's so important to understand this. We don't imitate God. We don't try and live as good Christians as a way of proving that we're good enough to be his children. That's the wrong way around. And yet before... I came to the Lord through that, interestingly, that prodigal son. That was my position. Am I working hard enough to be good enough to be a child of God? Can I pass the God exam? That's not what we're being told. We imitate God as a profound thanksgiving for what he's done for us in Christ. So, what has he done? And that's when we get to that little, that little word at the beginning. The beginning. Therefore. Um, and to quote an oft-used phrase by my husband, Louis, he says, Therefore is there for a reason. And in this particular case, it is there to give us an idea of why we might be imitators of God. The last verse of chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And again, it is because of the wonderful forgiveness that we have received in Christ that we are able to even consider this whole notion of imitating God. And then it goes on in verse 2 of our reading. I don't know whether we could have it up, Lucia. I should have asked you that before. Yeah. Um, And then we're told that because of the way we have been forgiven, then what are we meant to do? We're meant to walk in the way of love. And just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we've got it both at the very end of chapter four and there we are at the beginning. It's like I am not just wanting to burden you with some really difficult moral code of how to live your lives. That is not my purpose. My purpose is to draw you in 
to a loving relationship with me. And out of that relationship will flow behavior that imitates me and that honors me. So, because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, because our sins have been forgiven, we too, as beloved children, that's who we are, need to imitate the same kind of love and forgiveness. And we're called to walk in the way of love. I'm really rather fascinated by that. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us. We're not asked to run, we're asked to walk. And that says something to me about a step-by-step process. It won't happen all at once, will it? It can't happen all at once. Um, I'm being mindful of the time, but I had the odd analogy came to me. <clears throat> I'm sure some of you watched uh, the royal wedding. So isn't it interesting that the moment when Meghan Markle said I do to Harry, she became a duchess in that moment. But she didn't necessarily behave as one. She didn't necessarily know how to live as one. She certainly didn't necessarily know how to dress as one, how to address other people as one, but that is what she became. And we, in the same way, when we have said, I believe, I receive you, Lord Jesus, and I believe what happens to us, 1 Peter 2.9 tells us we become what? A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And what's our task in order to declare his praises? Now, you know, good old Megan went from commoner to royalty, and she did go into royalty, and she's got some things to learn about what that means. And the love that she and Harry have together, I reckon, will carry them through. But my goodness, our royalty is so much bigger. And the love of God our Father is so much bigger. Peter also says, but just as he called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Goodness. You know, it is quite something for each one of us when we begin to declare the things of God to other people. And certainly for those of us, well, I can't speak for others, for myself standing here, um, it, it is an awesome responsibility because we are, I, I don't want to be plagiarizing. <laughs> I don't want to be talking the talk and not walking the talk and not walking the walk, as they say. I, it is an awesome responsibility to be called to be holy. 
And yet God calls us to be holy. And you know he calls us to be holy because it's possible. Because it's part of his plan. Because it isn't outside the realms of possibility. It isn't outside the realms of our humanity. It's completely possible. But I don't think we can do it on our own. You know, there's that wonderful saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, I would say it takes a community of believers to keep a Christian on track. You know, it's just, um, but yeah, I think we need each other to keep each other on track. So, why was this particular area, and isn't it interesting, we're talking of God's love, and the particular area that Paul is focusing on here is actually an inappropriate use of both physical and verbal love. That's what he's talking about. He's talking to some extent the distinction between love and lust. Now, some of the reason for that, in fact, the main reason for that was that uh, in Ephesus at the time, it was an absolute hot spot. Um, Yeah, it was probably far worse even than you know, Soho in the 60s, for any of you who might remember hearing of it. Um, the Greek goddess Artemis was widely worshipped, and um, various immoral sexual practices paid for the upkeep of her temple in Ephesus. And to put it quite bluntly, and I am again drawing it from John Stott, Sexual orgies were regularly done as a way of worshipping her. There you have it. So what Paul was saying, listen guys, as Christians, as believers in the Lord Jesus, you need to be different. I mean, you need to be seriously different. Uh, Let's have verse 3, Lucia, please. So, Mandy read that to us. We've read it again. All of these things we shouldn't be doing. Why? Because they're improper. That's a very proper word, isn't it? Improper. They're improper for God's holy people. They are not seemly. They're basically wrong. Now, I think it's really important, and we will go on to that, um, looking at verses 4 and 5, but it's really important to understand that this passage is not saying if you've committed any form of sinfulness of this area, that's you done and dusted, of course not. That's what salvation is there for. But what it is saying is this is what we are being called to. And we're being called to it 
because we have a call to holiness. But I would add to that, we're also being called to it because it will give us peace in our lives. It will frankly make us happier. You know, we live in a society which is obsessed with uh, being happy. Well, I have had too many years' experience of working with men and women who have indulged in various sexual immoralities and irrespective of whether they are, if you like, perpetrators or victims, irrespective of that, there is pain. There is pain. This is not a good place to find yourself. But there is also... If, as a beloved child of God, you find yourself in that place, and you know what? I imagine some of us do. Let's be honest. Statistically, let's be honest. Then there is a way back. As Eddie said when he read that marvellous prodigal son, there's always a way back with our huge loving father. There is a way back through repentance and through forgiveness. Now, okay, let me go on with um, the next verse. Here we are, verse 4. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. One of the things that, and as we heard from John Stott earlier, is that certainly, you know, when I was growing up, it's changed, but it's become a different problem. Sex was dirty. That's simply what it was. You just, you know, it it, it was a taboo subject. It was in the closet. It wasn't talked about. To the huge detriment of many, many young men and women who didn't know what to do about it and didn't know what to do with themselves. Now what we have is a situation where we have become so desensitized Images are everywhere. Access is everywhere. We have become so desensitized that we almost don't realize that what we're potentially about to indulge with is, according to God's word, is sinful. We've just become desensitized. And so one of... I think my prayers for all of us, and I would encourage you in your small groups with friends, let's agree not to get too embarrassed about this. Let's agree not to get a bit, oh dear, you know, this is a tricky subject. Let's talk about it righteously. Let's talk to one another. I've got a problem here. I've got an issue here. Will you pray for me? Will you help me? 
They didn't have the internet back in Jesus' day, so online pornography wasn't a huge problem. It is now. It's an enormous problem. Um, And it's an enormous problem among Christians. I can tell you that for a fact. But there are ways around it. There are accountability programs that you can put on your computer. Every keystroke, every keystroke is seen by somebody else. If you have a problem in that area, don't sit on it in shame. Come to your enormous, loving Father God and ask to be released. Repent and ask God to forgive you. We have a God who longs for us to be holy. Okay. Next verse. I'll go through the next ones quite briefly. Uh, Well, except verse 5 is really important. Oh, crumbs, this this is a facer, isn't it? I'm going to read it out. It is God's word. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, I think we really need to understand what this is talking about. This is not talking about beloved children of God who fall into sin and then repent and are forgiven. This is talking about Those of us who choose consistently, repeatedly to decide we will not have anything to do with living a righteous life. We we don't want it. It's irrelevant in my life. I'm not interested in it. And yet, who have known that God is there. Now, this is a hard one, but this is the word of God. It's a double-edged sword. It's a sword that pierces our hearts, but it's a sword that redeems us and brings us back with mercy and with grace and with love. And the interesting, in case different ones of you might be interested in the word idolatry in that, it's an idolatry that refers to the first commandment about putting God first. Anything that does not put God first becomes idolatrous. And then finally, let no one deceive you with empty words, um, for God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. In Ephesus at the time, there was a Gnostic belief um, and it is still around, in, but it's just, it comes out in different ways to do with different kinds of New Age spirituality. Um, the body and mind were so completely separate that, quite frankly, you can do whatever you like with your body. Whatever you like, it will not affect your soul whatsoever. Your soul, your relationship with God is completely separate. That, of course was pagan teaching and that's not what that's not what God was saying that's not why Jesus died and therefore do not be partners with them and that's back to the call to holiness and therefore be holy be 
apart. But that doesn't mean you stop associating. Wouldn't it be awful if all the Christians were on that side and, and all those who weren't Christians were on this side and there the twain should meet? Of course it doesn't mean that. We are called to be in the world but not of the world. We are called to go out there and proclaim the love of God, his truth and his word, but not to get drawn into it, sucked into it, so that we became part of the problem of the issues that we are coming to confront. This is, this is not an easy word, and I would really... If, if it is a word that has in any way challenged you, touched you, please don't leave here this evening feeling inappropriately condemned, guilt-ridden. That is not the purpose of God's word. The purpose of God's word is to draw us back to himself. Please come, speak to Eddie, speak to me, speak to many of the other people sitting in this room that you trust to pray with you and to speak with. Because God is a God who says, turn around, come back to me, and I am there with open arms. Amen.